Coming to you from the Hawk's Nest, here to satisfy your baseball fix. It is Outfielders Anonymous. Right, Outfielders Anonymous fans, here we are for episode two. And you know, uh, we said last time in uh, the reintroduction, you know, our ep- first episode was with Eric Jarenko, and then this one is uh, we're going to recap uh, Chase's travels to the winter meetings of Major League Baseball, and then we're going to talk about some rule changes and some free agency moves that uh, have recently be- been announced. Uh, but like I said, first, let's talk about the the winter meeting. Uh, Chase, you had the opportunity to head to Major League Baseball's winter meetings, and um, you know I I think it's a, a very cool experience that you were able to get out there. Not the least of which is because you were able to spend several days in San Diego, where it was like seventy five degrees and sunny all the time. It was. Um, but uh, you had you met a lot of people. You've kind of recapped it to me, but I don't want to steal the thunder. Um, how was your trip? It was fantastic. So. I guess for starters, I mean, I don't see how anybody could frown in a place like San Diego. It's 75 to 78, sunny, not a cloud in the sky. The weather's just absolutely gorgeous. You know, you kind of wonder what the weathermen do out there because, you know, it's like they get up there and they're like, hey, over to you, Bob. (laughs) Uh, Hey, everybody. Yeah, it's going to be 75 and sunny again today. All right, back to you. But the funny thing was is that on that Sunday when I landed, it was 59 and it was raining. Wow. And it was that is horrible weather. And the thing was is like you think, oh, fifty nine is not that bad because I just came from thirty five, forty and raining. But you can tell that out there fifty nine is miserable. Because yeah. it felt it. Yeah. But within just a few short hours, the clouds parted, the sun came out, and the next morning at eight AM. I was sitting on my balcony having a cup of coffee going, Yep, I may never leave. <laughs> <laughs> So it was a it was a great experience, not just for that, but um, that's my second time to the actual you know winter meetings. The first time that I did it, you know, it was just from the fan side of things, just going, hanging around all the action, meeting who I could. This year, I did it more on a professional level. You know, went to some you know business conferences involving baseball, met you know people, talked to people within the industry, and kind of had my ear to the ground as to what was going on, how all the processes worked. Uh, for signings and you know how they break information, uh, how they do it through different outlets of media, everything. And it was extremely fast-paced, which you wouldn't think that something like that would be because the outside perception looking in is that teams are sitting around a roundtable in a conference room talking, which essentially they are, but it's <clears throat> nonstop, hundreds if not thousands of people that are – a part of organizations or a part of the media or just a part of the game of baseball in general are all descended on one spot in one city going back and forth 24 hours a day for one solid week. Who can get the information the fastest? What players being signed are going to drive up the value of other players, drive down the value? How are they going to deal with the fans, you know, if they let one of their, you know, hometown guys go? It was it was an extremely not only eye-opening experience as to how these things work, but it was great. I, I don't know that I'll ever miss them again. Generally speaking, how many people from 
each individual organization would you say is there? I mean, you know, I'm I'm assuming their front all, their whole front office is there, right? I mean, general manager down to the secretary. I'm I'm assuming. Well, each organization has representatives from not only their franchise but from every minor league franchise that they have. So any any you know major league team that has minor league affiliates, those minor league affiliates are also there. The minor leagues. Things that they are doing are completely separate from the majors. They have their own meetings, their own hotel, their own awards, all that stuff. Um, so I would say every organization has a minimum of 50 people. You have your general managers. Most of the time, your managers, especially if they are new managers to that team, um, assistant GMs, director of scouting, you know, from not only domestically but internationally, um, you probably have your, your head of finances talking about salary caps. I would say each major league organization has between 35 and 50 people outside of their minor league affiliates. So there's a lot of people there. I mean, it's it's a big operation. So uh, I'm, I have a question about the, the major league kind of agenda and what, and what they're discussing. But with, you said the, the minor leagues, they're, they're having their separate meetings and uh, you said award ceremonies, I guess. Yep. Now, how is that? broken out i mean is it just hey here's all of minor league is it oh here's single a and here's double a here's triple a or does it go down even further to here's the south atlantic league here's the pacific league the way the the way that i took that most of it was broke down so the the grand hyatt where all of the actual mlb winter meetings were taking place meetings media so on um two miles away was the uh, hilton bayfront Right there on the water, that's where all the minor leagues were staying. Their meetings were going on. The way that it was perceived for most of it to be going on, what it, it was based up between divisions of Major League Baseball. So you had your AL East, your Orioles, your Yankees, your Red Sox, your Blue Jays, so on and so forth. All of their minor league affiliates are kind of right there. So that way they can discuss what's going on between – hey, are we going to move these single-A guys up to triple-A if they do well in spring training? Are we going to let these guys go? Are we going to re-sign contracts? So on and so forth. So I think it's more separated divisionally, and then each team has Divisionally all... per the major leagues. Correct. Okay, then... so this wasn't necessarily with regards to... And I'm losing the words to how to <clears throat> kind of clarify this, but it's not necessarily the, you know, the... The Greenville Drive talking with the Asheville tourists, you know, about single A stuff. This is the, the the minor league affiliates specifically discussing major league stuff, correct? Right? And stuff well, so for like lack of a like this term. year, for instance, there was the big whole thing looming of were they going to downsize the minor leagues? Were they going to ixnay sixty percent of it because it's overcrowded and underfunded? Whatever. So they had to deal with a lot of that. So people like Eric, they had to be there on behalf of those meetings to see what the parent franchises or minor league baseball or major league baseball was going to do. And it even came down to a congressional thing. Like the United States government was involved. Um, but outside of that, uh, what, what, what does Congress have to do with, they voted on whether or not they thought that it was good for the American people. Oh, you got to think about if you take a small town like Asheville, Sporting wise, that's all they have. Is it good? Is it going to hurt the community to pull that out of there? Right. So, and if they're, and I guess if they're making a clear swipe of saying, hey, we're going to eliminate, you know, half of the single A affiliates, that affects more than just Asheville. That affects, 
you know, that's nationwide. The inter- yeah, that, yeah, that affects the entire. Now, country. luckily, like you know, our friend Eric, he didn't have anything to worry about. They're so closely tied with the Red Sox, the park, what it draws in attendance. I mean, they had nothing to worry about. Right. And right now, I truly don't think that minor league baseball has much to worry about at this very moment. But now that's always going to be hanging over their head. It's been thought about. It's been talked about. It's been an idea. It could happen whenever they decide. Like moving the mound back two feet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But then once you get outside of stuff like that, then you have the Red Sox that are going, okay, here's our farm system. From single A all the way up to triple A to rookie ball to whatever, every farm affiliate that the Red Sox have for player development and building players up to a major league level – they're all in meetings together for what to do. And then if there is trade potential or stuff like that, that's being discussed on the major league end and then brought down to the minor league end. So, again, it's all – you know, everything's being – the stage is being set by their franchise. Their meetings are essentially what they have to do with, which, be honest, they don't have anything to do that trumps what their parent franchise does. You know except for concessions. Right. And I don't think they're meeting about that in the winter. Right. So that's what I gathered from that. I spent time at both, but it was really cool to see, like, so the first person that got signed, the first big major signing of the winter meetings was Steven Strasburg. When I landed in San Diego at 1130 a.m. West Coast time, the Steven Strasburg deal didn't even get announced until noon West Coast time Monday. We were already catching wind that Scott Boris was in a meeting. The Nationals were heavy in a front runner to re-sign him and that it was all but signed. Right around midnight West Coast time, no one had broke the information yet because the Nationals nor Scott Boris had made it like, hey, it's done. But it was done and everybody knew it. And then that next morning... It became official, and then 30 minutes later, the floodgates opened. I'm getting texts. Hey, did you hear Strasburg resign? I said, yeah, I heard about it 24 hours ago. I said, you know. So it's cool to see how things unfold. And while the rest of the world's thinking that we're waiting in suspense, they're already on to the next big deal. Right. So it was that was one of probably the 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 coolest parts about it is just seeing how something goes from nothing more than speculation to it's official and to hear things like $245 million be thrown out and then to realize that that's truly peanuts in the grand (laughs) scheme of everything. And to think about that $245 million was spent on one man's arm. I wish, uh, I wish 245 million was peanuts to me. I can tell you yeah, that. No doubt. But I mean, to a franchise, <laughs> you got to. Since think. we're at the Christmas season and I'm like going out and, you know, buying Nintendo Switches and it hurts my pocket. <laughs> so, so, okay. So um, that was back to the, the minor leagues and how that, but what, what events, what meetings, what conferences, were you as a a fan attendee, but also you had some credentials um, that you that may have gotten you into some other things? So, yep. like, what what other events uh, were going on? I, I mean, we know that there's rule discussions, and we'll get to the rule discussions. Yep, and the rule discussions actually happen later in the week, so we can kind of follow the timeline 
of how the winter meetings went and go over everything with you. So um, from a fan perspective, when I got there on Sunday – um, I, with, with a group of other people that are within the industry, um, scouts, agents, former GMs, current assistant GMs, I was able to, um, kind of get in, into their little core group because I was going to be going to a conference on Monday with them. And they're like, Hey, do you want to take a private tour of Petco park? I have been to Petco park. And again, as you know, as a lot of, you know, I'm a big historian of the game. I love old. I love historic. I like something that you can look back on. Petco Park is not that. They have no history there. We don't know that they ever will. It's still a fairly new park. And let's face it, it's a franchise that's lost. They're just not a winning franchise. They have Tony Gwynn, and that's really the history of the Padres. But as far as the layout of the ballpark... You don't think Manny Machado is going to put them on the map? He may. (laughs) Right now, from a fan perspective, he has. But again, there's no history there. Right. But... I can say this. If you look at the layout of a ballpark, because you know you have some parks like Wrigley Field. The wind's blowing right. That's a hitter's ballpark. You have fields like I'll say. Camden Yards. Okay, Camden Yards. If something's coming in off the harbor, that's a pitcher's ballpark. Even though it's relatively small compared to other parks. Then you have Turner Field. That was a pitcher's ballpark. Petco Park is neither one. It is perfectly laid out, designed, just symmetrically positioned in that city with the ocean on one side and the desert on the other to be neither. It is a complete happy medium. They position the well, scoreboard. I guess, I guess it kind of goes with their weather, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, like It doesn't matter. If you're a power hitter, can you hit it out of the ballpark? Yes. Do you have an advantage in that ballpark? Absolutely not. Does a pitcher have an advantage in that ballpark? Nope, because it's just small enough to where any power hitter can go yard on you. They even position the scoreboard so perfectly to where unless you are going to go opposite field by a long shot and just barely eke it out in between that and the foul pole, you're not leaving that ballpark. You might hit the scoreboard and it may land in the bleachers, but you're not leaving the ballpark. And I and that is one thing that I really did like about that part because it's – there is no advantage to no matter what team comes in. Don't matter if you're a pitching team or a hitting team, you have no more advantage than anyone else. That I did like. So we did that. And again, there was nothing besides that that overwhelmed me about the park. After that, went to dinner, did a meet and greet with um, a couple of former GMs and current uh, scouts and agents, which I attended their conference on Monday morning. And then I got invited to attend a conference being held by um it's it's a sports consulting company that houses a lot of current agents but their guest speaker was mike matheny uh former manager of the cardinals the one that just took the job with the royals this will be his first year as manager mike did a great job he was a great speaker he took time after i got to meet him and talk to him for a few minutes and then that ended up leading into I spent all day Monday in conferences, listening to speakers, to agents, to scouts. And I'm different than most fans. I like the inner workings of it. So that was fan fanship for me just as much as watching a game. Whereas some people would be like, I don't care. I just want to go watch a game, meet players, stuff like that. But then that also opened the door for when I went to um, 
the Grand Hyatt that night, started walking around, seeing members of the media, seeing, you know, famous people per se, I had on a pass to walk wherever I wanted. I could walk right up in the middle of a, of a TV shoot and stand there beside, you know, Harold Jenkins. I had stood beside, you know, um, Scott Boris. I stood, you know, right after he made a press conference about Strasburg, and then we walked outside um, and we had a cup of coffee together. We didn't, obviously, he didn't spend that much time with me, but he was gracious enough to talk to me for two or three minutes, understand my passion for it, and understand that he once was me. He wanted to be that guy that could get in and talk to people. So, I mean, it was great. David Ross, um, DeRosa, I think I told you about him. He's always a fan favorite. Yeah. Um, if any of you guys are Barstool guys, Jared Carabas, the Rocket, starting nine host, Dallas Braden. I got to talk to those guys for a while. They were great. Um, who else did I tell you I met? I mean, it was a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, you had quite a few pictures. Yeah. So, we'll get more into that in the podcast. I'm going to start going through these pictures so I can recap some of it. But, guys, if you're – from a fan standpoint, anybody can go to batting practice. Anybody can hang around after the games and hope for autographs. You don't get any closer to the action than that right there. Now, granted, you go to the winter meetings, the chances of you meeting current players are slim to none because they're just not there. Yeah. But if you're into – Because it's really an administrative thing. Right. But if you're into, like, Jim Leland, I was a big fan of his growing up. Yeah. You know, great manager. He doesn't really have anything to do with baseball anymore from a current modern-day standpoint. But he was there. Yeah. And he was in the action. And he was talking to people. I love that. I love the fact that I got to meet David Ross, Joe Madden. Um, I mean, well, again, Scott Boris. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that, meeting that a, right there, to be honest, a headliner with you, agent, most powerful agent in sports. Yeah. And, and that was cool to not only just see him come out and you'd be sitting there in the same room with him or standing in the same lobby, but to walk out the front door with him, say, Scott, can I get a picture and him generate a conversation with yeah. you? Like, hey, where are you from? What are you doing here? And the one question that Scott Boris asked me after I answered his initial question that blew me away from somebody of his caliber is he said, where do you hope this takes you? And I looked, I'm like, this is a guy that's just made $50 million in the last 24 hours. He don't need to know what I'm doing, but he asked. And if he didn't truly, you know, give a damn, why would he ask? He said, where do you hope this takes you? And I said, I don't know that I want to do your job, but maybe somewhere to your status. And he said, well, he said, I was you one day. Keep going. And he said, see you next year. Yeah. That was cool. Very cool. And when he was saying, where do you hope this takes you, he, he meant your visit to the winter meeting. Correct. He wanted to know, like, hey, this is why I'm here. Where do you hope that, this, that what you're doing right now, pounding the pavement, what you're doing in your career, where do you hope that doing things like this takes you – 10 years down the road when you're coming when you come back to the winter meetings in 10 years where do you hope to be then versus what you're doing now so that was extremely extremely cool and then just to see managers walking around media following them around knowing something's getting ready to break and you just don't know what it is yet and every time you think you know you you don't you don't know there's always a different figure a different team you know a different clause in the contract it's always something that makes all of the suspense worthwhile and yeah. makes you and lets you know that the game is alive and well it's not dead like most people think like oh you know viewership's down 
I think it showed that financially, baseball's the best that it's ever been. Maybe a little bit too good for the money that they're spending. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly discussions. I know uh, some of the news outlets have been talking about uh, there may be some uh, – uh, I guess the honeymoon is over with the, the latest collective bargaining agreement. You know, we've had, you know, something like three decades of pretty peaceful labor talks mm -hmm. um, between Major League Baseball and the Players Union. Uh, but I know that there has been some rumblings about uh, money being spent. And if if the owners and if the teams are making, you know, the amount of money that you just alluded to uh, and the players feel like it's not filtering down to them, then I can certainly understand why that may become a discussion. Well, I think what the, what the problem is now is if you go back and look at the last true strike, and I know that there have been things that have gone on since then, but in my eyes, the last – true strike that really affected baseball was what year was it that the Cleveland Indians were in a pennant race and they stopped it. They just stopped baseball. There's no more regular season. There's no postseason this year. It's over late nineties. Some point Cal Ripken was trying to break his, you know, going on his streak of, you know, consecutive games. Cal well, he Jr. broke that in 95. I want to say. Yeah. So it was all in that time. Cause frame. I was in the army when that happened. And that the big question was when they came back and there were like games that weren't technically on record because of minor league guys coming up, they were like, Cal, are you going to play? Is it going to, you know, go against your, your playing streak? And he goes, if this is not an actual major league game, I'm not playing. He said, I play major league baseball and I will continue to do so every day. But the problem is now is that you have the money being spent. Obviously, if the major league organizations didn't have it, they wouldn't spend it. The problem is, where does it stop? You just paid a pitcher $324 million for nine years of service. Knowing good and well in nine years, he's not going to be nearly worth what you're paying him each year. They know it. We know it. The pitcher knows it. But if you're willing to pay to get what you can get out of him right now and deal with the rest later, well, if you're doing that now, who's to say that in two years a pitcher doesn't break a billion, you know, half a billion dollars? But I mean, they're, I mean, baseball contracts are guaranteed. I remember Albert Bell was still being paid by the Orioles years after after he left. Yeah, uh, well, that organization. a lot of that after he left baseball, he, the Orioles were still paying him. Now it doesn't count towards the salary cap and, and right. all that, but a lot of that has now gone away. Like now, it's like if you're not a member of the organization, they can't just pay you indefinitely. Like yeah. now, there's things that go in place where whether it's true club control, whether it's do you have you know a trade option? Is there a, a you know a way to opt out after so many years? My question is, if you're gonna pay three hundred twenty-four million dollars to a player. I'm sorry, the pitcher is the most important player on the field itself. Because without a pitcher setting the precedent for what the game is going to be, no one else has a chance to follow suit. But you are talking about the most fragile person on the field. One throw, your career could be over. What if you tear something? Yeah. And you're willing to – I mean, you have teams now that were in the mix for Garrett Cole per se to say, will we make a run at him? And they were willing to take their entire offseason – go over their salary cap, pay a luxury tax to get one guy that's a big maybe five years from now and know that that one guy is not going to solve your problems. You still have to have three other starters, four other starters. You still have to have a bullpen. And you still have to put people that can hit in yeah. the rotation. 
So by the time you get all that in place over the next three, four years, who's to say he's worth it? Yeah, because in a season, let's say he pitches a no-hitter every single game, right? What's that? 25 wins. Yeah. There's 162 games. That's why I always like the Billy Bean theory. You're not buying players, you're buying wins. And wins are a lot cheaper than players. And I think that still holds true because you look at a, a team like the the A's or a team like Tampa Bay where their attendance is in the bottom tier of baseball, their revenue is the lowest in baseball, their salary caps are the lowest in baseball, and they are the poor teams that literally just develop players to push them out to organizations that can afford them come their contract year free agency, but yet they still win and they still make it to postseason. And eventually they get to that point where it's like, we don't have $200 million, but we're going to do it anyway. The owner's going to come front $40 million that we're lacking because we are one piece away from winning it all. And then when you do, it made it all worthwhile because you get it back, then you sell the team, and then you start all over again. Yeah. I like that aspect of the game versus a Yankee or a Dodger being able to say, well, we just have endless amounts of money. Yeah, and, and they really do. I mean, there's, there's other small market teams – uh, I would consider Baltimore a small market team. My it, it Orioles, most definitely is. You know, and even though Baltimore, we love our Orioles, um, you know, but the Angelos family, that that organization, I I don't necessarily know what they're doing right now with regards to. The I team. to be honest with you, and and nobody said this, but my take on the Orioles, and because this is what's weird, me and you were looking at free agent listings before we started this podcast. We were looking at all the money that's been spent this this off season. The teams that are making moves, that are spending money trying to get better. Nobody wants to lose. Small market teams are expected to lose four out of every five years. And then on that fifth year, let's see what your player development's done. You come off the hip for some cash, and you make a run. If it works, great. You build off of it. If it doesn't, you completely deplete the team and you start over from the ground up. That's how small market baseball has to work. That's how their cash flow works. They're not the Steinbrenners who can say, oh, you need $500 million just so this other team can't have them? We've got it. Yeah, I mean, look at, looking at this list, I just flipped <laughs> through it again. The Orioles are not listed. Bingo. And, and the teams that are you would expect and are in the playoffs are the ones listed nationals, white Sox, brewers, giants, twins. And I think we talked about brewers, this. diamondbacks, Yankees, tigers, braves. I know a lot of people listening braves, now. Royals, won't remember, Royals. I mean, but as we, as we mentioned in our introduction episode, we did outfielders anonymous last year. We decided to take a step back and start completely over. We did an entire topic last year in one of our episodes about my thoughts. And it, we had a guest speaker, uh, Bowman, one of our friends that lives up in Baltimore. He was talking about, he asked the question to me, what team that is a losing team right now do I think has been making and is making the best offseason moves to be better and sneak up on everybody? And I told him, I said, I cringe when I say it because I hate them is the White Sox. Great transition. Bingo. Because we were talking about a couple of things that this all ties into. We were talking about the winter meetings. We were talking about free agency. We're talking about the salaries. And we were talking about Scott Boris. Mm -hmm. And we are broadcast. We're recording this on December 21st. Just uh, this afternoon, just this evening, it was announced um, that Dallas Keuchel, um Three-year, $55.5 million with the White Sox, and he has an option 
uh, where there is an option for a fourth year to raise it up to $74 million. That's mm-hmm. a Boris um, player. Yep. And then you got Hyunjin Ryu, um, not official yet, but apparently the Blue Jays have, have offered him four years, $80 million. This that is what one actually kind of surprised me. Is the Blue Jays getting him? I'm surprised that they spent the money. Again, not official, but that's but, what but sources usually, are saying. Hey, here, here's the money. But they're, he's they're been speculated on since the day the offseason began because, truthfully, even though Jacob DeGrom went out as, like, the stud pitcher of all of baseball last year, and, of course, he you know, Cy Young winner for the National League, truth be told, if you go off of just stats, Ryu had the best – year of any National League pitcher last year. Well, he, I mean, he went 14-5, and five and he had a 2.32 ERA. And and going into the All-Star break, he had like a 1.19 ERA and had not lost a game. He's a, He is not a power pitcher. He pitches in the mid-80s, but he's a ground ball machine. And in the National League, playing against teams that the Dodgers have to play against, the Giants, the Cubs, the Nationals, people like that, that's, that's impressive because yeah. you have nothing but power hitters there. 32 years old. He's a lefty. And he has been he has been kind of injury riddled at some times, and he has been inconsistent. But last year was his career year. So we knew he was going to get big money. I had a feeling that, it, I, that the Dodgers were going to try to hang on to him just long enough to see what other moves they could make and to see if they could afford him without him being the reason they had to push into a luxury tax. And if not, he would stay in the National League. The fact that he went to a losing franchise in the AL East surprised me. Good for him. I think that he'll fit well into the rotation, but that one surprised me. The Keuchel one doesn't surprise me. I think it surprises me that other teams basically let the White Sox sneak up from behind and just give them one big swift kick in the ass. Like, we're going to keep going no matter what you guys do. They signed Jose Abreu, which was the first big contract signed of this offseason, for $50 million in three years to the White Sox. So as going back to what I said last year, the White Sox are doing it the right way. They wasted no time. The second the, 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 the World Series was over, the White Sox were on the phone, re-signed Jose Abreu, $50 million. They've got their, their stud guy. On this list, of course, they also have Gio Gonzalez. Yep, another big uh, a sign. A year for $5 million bucks. They have Yasmani Grandal, um, you know, four years, $73 million. And I'd be honest with you, that four years, $73 million, I think they got a bargain. And that $5 million that they spent for one year, truthfully, in any major league organization, that is chump change. $5 million for one year for somebody that's proven that they can be, they're good right now. There's no team that has spent money like the White Sox and done it so well. Now you get Keuchel, which, granted, he's had his issues. He was suspect. And, I mean, what was it? When did Keuchel come into the rotation last year for the Braves? Midseason? He was sitting at home with his feet kicked yeah, up it until Yeah, it was after July. Yeah. So, I understand that. but And even though he wasn't the most dominant of pitchers, he held his own. And other than a few bad starts, which was to be expected for someone who set the first half of the year out, they gave him two basically gimme starts where he went and faced a few batters, and then they unleashed the hounds on him and said, go for it. They didn't work him. They didn't pamper him and try to get him ready. They said they threw him, they threw him out to the dog and said, go, and I think that he did very well. And, and two of those, um, both of those signings there – 
came from. Obviously, Abreu was a re-sign uh, mm -hmm. for the for the White Sox, but uh, those other two came from the Brewers. But Brewer, the Brewers are also making a ton of moves here. As I'm going down this list, Brett Anderson um, signs with the Brewers. Um, the Brewers are making Keon a lot Roxton, of because you know Alex that, like, Claudio. Um, gee, I mean, they're listed. Abasello Garcia, um, Ryan Healy. Mm -hmm. I think the so. thing with the Brewers is, and this is just my own personal speculation, Brewers are small market too. They're low revenue, very low salary cap. You have Christian Yelich. You have Hayter, which is one of the best relievers in baseball. Even though they've given up what they've given up, even though they'll give up more, and, they're, and right now they're signing players that are they're hoping that they can be what? they think they'll be that's a big maybe I think truth be told that even though they're releasing some of their talent that is questionable I think that the Brewers can win just as much as they have been winning without them and if they can if they kind of flatline like that for the next couple of years save back a little bit of money and wait for another big free agent to pop up maybe like a Francisco Lindor if he doesn't go somewhere this year Mookie Betts somewhere like that, big, big name, game changer. They'll have the money to do it. They'll be winning just enough to, for those big name players to say, well, I can go to Milwaukee, small market, be a fan favorite, and I'm going to a winning team. I'm just going to make it better. I don't have to help rebuild, and the Brewers are right there on the cuffs of being, you know, turning the, the NL Central on its head and not being the one chasing the Cubs or the Cardinals. Yeah, certainly day. an exciting team to watch. I like yeah, I, I like watching from, from a small market uh, franchise or a small market team like we were saying. So we talked about the White Sox. We talked about the Brewers. Before we start getting into some of the the big big names and teams that are going on, so what we can speculate for this year, um, I think the other team to look out for, and you guys can do your own research and speculate how you you want to on your own. I think the team that nobody's given enough credit to, and the one that's getting ready to sneak up on the National League is the Cincinnati Reds. Trevor Bauer getting a midseason last year. Um, being able to not only sign key pieces, short-term, low money, and have full control, and knowing that these guys are right there in the prime where they need them, Cincinnati is going to be a team that within two years, they're going to have $100 million just waiting in the wings to add one more key piece to uh, potentially – who knows? Maybe we'll see the big red machine again. And that that is something that we can obviously keep an eye out on over the next you know two two and a half months before spring training. Yeah, because I do think they will make bigger moves. And so that'll that'll be bringing us into a break right now. Uh, in just a second, we will be back, and I think uh, we're going to wrap up this segment with some of the rules changes uh, that were discussed at the winter meeting. All right, be right back. This episode of Outfielders Anonymous is brought to you by ChaseWins.com, your full-service sports consulting agency, giving you the inside edge and inside information for all that is sports investing. You have a hurt bankroll? You want to learn how to manage money? You want to do this and treat it seriously like a business? Come to ChaseWins.com, sign up for a package. You will be treated right, the best customer service in the business, the best information in the business, and all we do is win. ChaseWins.com. All right, welcome back, Outfielders Anonymous fans. We've covered quite a bit here in uh, the first segment. 
Um, went over Chase's trip out to the winter meetings, of course, and then talked about some of this free agency movement. And we'll kind of get to where we think our, you know, our, our front runners are, uh, as well as some of the rule changes that came out of the, the winter meetings. But there has been some talk, uh, which is would be major transition um, with specifically Francisco Lindor and Mookie Betts. Chase, mm-hmm. what what's uh, what's the word on the street? So th- the whole thing is, and I know that this is going to rub Cleveland fans the wrong way because Francisco Lindor is their guy. He is the face of their franchise. He is their their all star. Inevitably, a future Hall of Famer. So, I mean, just, just going over 2019, he had 32 home runs, 40 doubles, two triples, um, knocked in 74 runs, slash line 284, 335, 518. And that's not even. And, and the thing is, last year wasn't even his best year. The whole team was down last year. Yeah. So what Cleveland's doing? He's and, clearly a top, top. 10 oh top my five player yeah no doubt he's right most now. definitely a top 10 player he's a future hall of famer and the thing is they say and again i don't know francisco lindor personally but you can just tell by the the way he acts on the field in the dugout he's a clubhouse guy he makes the franchise better he makes everyone around him better he loves the game he plays it like a child which is the most which I mean, which begs the question why are the indians looking to make the move money because you, you got to think, the Indians have two years of control left with Francisco Lindor. So they don't have to do anything. They can hold on to him for two more years, and no one could do anything about it. The problem is, the Indians, and this is what I'll give the Indians. I'm certainly not an Indians fan by any stretch of the imagination. And they became a mortal enemy team of mine when they played the Cubs in the 16 World Series. But dating all the way back to the dynasty that almost was in the 1990s, that team knows how to build a program. They know how to do it the right way financially. They know how to do it the right way by developing players. And they understand that in two years, when he hits free agency, we're going to be looking at another record-breaking contract that the Indians can't afford. And if they pay it, they can't buy anything else. And one man can't win you a championship. We see that with Mike Trout, best player in baseball, they still can't go to the postseason until they put people around them. So I think that they, they're the, from the Indian standpoint, from a fan's perspective, the Indians are, are screwing them. They're, you're taking away our guy. From, a, from the Indian standpoint, you either get two more years out of them where they know they're probably still not going to be able to win a championship because they're just not there yet. And then you get nothing for him in two years. Or you get rid of him now, you get as much talent as you can for him, as much money as you can for him, so that you don't have to back up and rebuild. And so who are the teams that are that are in the – I mean, you're, you're, you're right about the money. It's $16.7 million in 2020. Uh, I believe 2021, it'd be <clears throat> somewhere around $20 million. It goes up. So uh, a lot of money for the Cleveland Indians. And not only that, when he gets into free agency – we're talking astronomical. He'll be into the thirty-five million plus a year range. So what? So what teams out there right now are looking to bring Lindor on their roster? There's two answers for that. The first easy answer is everybody. Everybody wants him. Everybody's looking for a way to get him. the The true answer is number one. You got to look at who can afford him and who really needs him position wise. 
because you don't want to go out there and overpay for a player if you already have a player in that position doing well at potentially a cheaper price. So the Cubs, no. Because they, again, then that would mess with your rotation of Javier Baez, who's their guy, who they want to re sign. And they know, okay, bring in Lindor, we're probably going to have to eke out Baez in a couple of years. Can't have both of them. Both of them are in that, you know, are essentially playing side by side. I think the true front runners would be the Dodgers. The Yankees are a front runner no matter what, no matter who's on the block. The Yankees would buy someone just so somebody else doesn't get them. I think that the Dodgers would be a even front even with their latest Garrett Cole move. Yeah, I mean they've got a, I mean it's like they they they've got checks handed. Money, you know, <laughs> I mean they've got checks straight from the heavens. They're unlimited and they and they're always good. Um, for me, I would say that the Dodgers would probably be the front runner in my eyes, but the teams outside of the Dodgers checkbook that would be true contenders. Possibly the White Sox. Well, look, looking at a Cincinnati-based um, blog right now that I'm looking at about this story, they're saying uh, the Dodgers, mm-hmm. the Padres, which we just talked about the Padres, and yep. they got Manny Machado, bring another hitter in. That was actually brought up at the winter meeting. Somebody during a conference said if the Padres could figure out a way to afford it and afford it long-term – would a Machado Lindor combination? You got two hitters. What about their staff, though? Exactly. See, that's the thing. You have Machado that can hit. You have Machado that can field. You get that with Lindor. That still does nothing for your pitching. Yeah. And without pitching, yeah, you have nothing. It's the National League. Exactly. So I mean, <laughs> those guys don't hit. So yeah. you don't. Or I mean, they do hit, but I mean, they don't. You know, you don't have the DH, but. Nobody cares about what the pitcher does yeah, you they, know, every fifth day when he has to swing the bat a few times. Apparently, the Mets may have shown some interest, but it's more peripheral. Maybe it's more exploratory, this this article The says. Phillies are kind of doing the same thing. It's like they're always interested, but they're going to see what other people do. So when the, the Indians on Friday, yesterday afternoon, came out and said, we're open to the idea. Everybody has one offer. Your your top and final offer you have till five p.m. Make you an offer you can't refuse. They're gonna review it over the weekend, <laughs> and I think something happens with Lindor before Christmas Day, or it doesn't happen this year, or it doesn't happen before the trade deadline. So the Reds, the Reds, you, you just brought them up mm-hmm. about that that team that you know nobody's looking at, no maybe everybody's underestimating, but the Reds are competing for Lindor. Is that the piece that's missing? Is that the the piece that... Do I think that that would be the piece that is missing for a team like the Reds? Yes, because they do have pitching. My question would be, because at the end of the day, it still comes down to the player, where they want to play, where they feel like they can win, and where they feel like they want to be. Well, he knows that he can go to the Dodgers and win. Bingo. And he know, And let's face it, I mean, no, no disrespect to people in Cincinnati or the surrounding areas, but... Cincinnati or L.A., great weather versus weather that's good three months out of the year. Right. You know, and not only that. And they have to support the Bengals, you know, if you're a, if you're in Cincinnati. Either that or you're going to be fans of teams in Kentucky and just <laughs> right. pull for the Wildcats. So, and, I, and, I, and, tr- and truth be told, outside of Joe Madden, 
and that's because I'm a Cubs homer and I've always loved Joe Madden. Dave Roberts is my favorite manager in baseball. Like, he's like the nicest human being on the face of the earth. They say he's the most humble guy in the world. I've listened to hours upon hours of interviews with this guy. When you talk about a team showing interest and then you have the manager come up, who's essentially going to be your boss, your leader, I think the Dodgers have an edge over everybody because of Dave Roberts. Why would you not want to play for the guy? And any player that's ever played for him says that. They're like, I had to leave because of this. I had to leave because it was time for me to go. The one thing I regret is leaving Dave Roberts. It's like leaving Tommy Lasorda or, you know, Bobby Cox or somebody like that. So, truth be told, I think it would be the key piece missing for the Reds. The Dodgers can win without Lindor. That would just be one more piece of the arsenal. They make some infield shift. Justin Turner may do some things different. And then I just think that that gives the Dodgers, everybody's focused on the Yankees right now being the end-all, be-all because of Garrett Cole. The Dodgers get Francisco Lindor. I don't see how you couldn't give them a preseason. Like Vegas is going to put the Dodgers preseason to win the World Series if they get Lindor, period. Now, we are in a uh, Red Sox affiliate here uh, and a player that played on the Greenville Drive here, Mookie Betts. Mookie is not so much truly on the trade block like Lindor is. The problem with the Red Sox is they have got to get rid of some of their payroll. They are way overspending. David Price, Chris Sale, all these pitchers that had a really down year, had that World Series hangover. Their pitching was terrible in 2019. The team was awful. They're not going to get rid of Jackie Bradley Jr. He is their franchise guy, I believe. They they don't want to get rid of any pitching, but if somebody's willing to take some of the David Price money for him, the Red Sox will eat what they have to just to free up payroll to try to keep Mookie. But nobody wants David Price over a Mookie Betts because David Price has passed his prime. He's going to deteriorate year in and year out you know, farther down the line. He's not going to get any better than he was. So for Mookie Betts, I think you have the same thing. I think you have a potential Dodgers. I think you have a potential Yankees. But believe it or not, and maybe this is me just wishful thinking, if the if the Red Sox truly show interest and approach other organizations and say, do the same thing that the, Red, that the Indians are doing with Lindor, that's where I think the Cubs make a big move. Jason Hayward is going to be nearing retirement soon. They'd be willing to give up somebody like a Kyle Schwarber to the Yankees um, and Ian Happ uh, to whoever wants him to put Mookie Betts in the outfield and have him within the rotation and have him long-term and you'd be looking at a team because Chris Bryant's probably going to be gone. You'd have your, your three major guys being Rizzo, Baez, and Mookie Betts. That's a force to be reckoned with. So, if the Dodgers don't get Lindor, um, is there scuttlebutt about them getting bets? There is, but I don't think they'll go after him, truth be told, because they still have one of the best outfields in baseball. Their pitching rotation's just fine. I think if they couldn't get Lindor, get him long-term, get him at this, you know, at this time – then I truthfully think that they would focus more on trying to bring another dominant arm in versus someone that would be a dominant bat and a fielder. 
That's my opinion. But the the Dodgers are like the Yankees. They have the money to do whatever they want. They could spend money just to spend it. But I think that the Dodgers are smart enough. And the thing is, look how, I mean, in the past five years, I mean, they've been to, you know, NLCS after NLCS after NLCS. They played in a couple of World Series. They just can't get over that hump. They're there. I don't think they need Lindor or Mookie Betts to get there. They certainly don't need any better pitching, in my opinion. I think they've had some bad luck in the postseason. So I, I, but then again, I think that Lindor would be their their focus. If they can't get that, I think they would hold off from spending the money on bets because of how many people they've got in their farm system coming up, and they'd look to uh, try to get a dominant arm. Well, again, we have you know. Still a lot of time left in this free agency and in this offseason right now. So we'll be we will certainly be keeping our eyes out on a lot of these uh, a lot of these players as where they're going and what these teams are. Um, let's go over we were we finished up with the winter meetings, uh, but there were some uh, rules changes that are coming out in in twenty twenty. Um, the waiver deadline the, in 2019, they got rid of the August um, secondary deadline. Uh, so now it's just July. I guess that puts the fire uh, under the, the pants of, of clubs to make their moves. I think that's um, good, though. I mean, it's like it's almost like, hey, here's your deadline, but not really. Yep, right. Give them a deadline. Yeah. Here, if you're going to do something, you got to yeah. do it by right here or move on. Agreed. Uh, the $1 million bonus for the home run derby comes in in 2020. I agree with that as well. Um, we, they're reducing the timing for the commercial breaks, yawn, uh, they're reducing the mound visits from six per game down to five per game. Um, I don't think that's enough of a change to really make that much of a difference in my opinion. Uh, let me come back to that because that, that mound visit also ties into the speed of the game. So Mm -hmm. the commercial breaks, the mound visits, one last um, item that's changing, the roster is uh, going from 25 to 26. And actually in September, it goes up to 28. But, you know, most of the the talking heads and the articles that you're reading, I don't know, maybe you have an opinion on it. Does that really make a difference that you have a couple more guys? I mean, when you're getting late in the season, there's so much movement anyway with AAA, moving guys in and out of the rotation, so on and so forth. I mean, having an extra slot on on the roster. Do any, does it do anything? Not really. What I think that it it's going to do. It gives 30 more guys uh, in the league. Uh, it does. Making and I, a paycheck. Yeah. And I, and I think that what that also does is it's going to, not by a large margin, but if you think, if you've got 30 more guys in the league that are all getting a major league paycheck, that's going to calm those big record-breaking free agent contracts down just a hair because clubs know we got to pay this many guys. We don't have an option. We can't say, well, we don't want to play with this many guys. We're okay with a 25-man roster. This is how many guys you have to have on your roster, and you got to pay all of them. So that's more money that you have to allocate. And I think that instead of paying someone upwards of half a billion dollars, that's going to bring that into it. So I think that's a good thing. I think the only difference that it's going to make is it's going to allow teams – and this is really going to be for for front running teams and teams that are making looking to make moves at the trade deadline to allow them to shift players in and out, rotate them kind of like a basketball or a hockey team does early season when they can't afford to lose some games. See what works, see what doesn't, see who's valuable, see who's not. So at the trade deadline, they can make serious moves if any 
and they've got the the data and the stats to back it up. So, I, I I'm okay with it. I mean, <laughs> there's there's nothing that I think that is going to be that's going to hurt or overly benefit. Nothing ground shaking. So we've probably already talked too much about it already. One okay. So there's two more things that are coming in. Uh, one rule change, and then one that's just on the horizon. But the first. The pitching requirement. So, uh, I think they call this the Lugie rule, um, but it's forcing uh, every pitcher to at least face three batters or pitch a half of an inning. Um, and the question is, I guess it's a, an attempt to shorten the game. I guess overall, Major League, the Major League Baseball is is trying to shorten uh, the time frame of a game, right? Because yep. you're losing viewers, uh, you know. In general, for me, I love to go to a live baseball game and sit in the stands. Watch mm-hmm. one on TV, hmm, sometimes that gets a little boring. And then you have multiple pitching changes. One batter comes in, and they bring a pitcher in. He gets the guy out, now they bring another pitcher in. And it's just, you know, you could have you could have three pitchers in a single inning. Now, Major League Baseball is saying, no, you can't do that. So, does it shorten the game? Well, looking back on the stats, I've read about this a little bit. This only seems to have occurred about every four games uh, for any given team. And so you're talking about average reduction in game time to about a minute per game. Now, that's average, right? So in those games that they're, that they're doing this, happens a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it does other things. It reduces the strategic moves in the game, right? So a manager has to leave a certain pitcher and he wants to bring a lefty in to face a lefty, you know? Or, you know, whatever it is, now that lefty has to stay in uh, to face someone that maybe shells him all the time. Yeah. Um, I like the rule. I do. I, I think that it's good for two rate. I think the where we're going to see the biggest shortening of the game isn't going to be within the game itself. It's not going to affect the, the game so much because it doesn't take very long for the pitching coach or the manager to walk out to the mound – Take the ball, signal out, hand the ball, and say throw a couple of warm-up pitches. But if you notice, every time the manager – because you have your set commercial breaks after every half inning. If something major happens like a player gets hurt, they may break to a commercial, something like that. But if you have somebody that comes out and they say, okay, we're going to go to a pitching change. Starting pitcher's coming out. We're going to go to our middle reliever. Well, they come out and he faces one batter which could take one pitch, ground ball, he's out, and then the manager goes, well, we really only wanted him to face this lefty. He signals for They have to go to a commercial break again. Unless Sunday night baseball or ESPN or Fox related, like if it's on a local station like up in Baltimore or CSN Chicago out in Chicago, they have to run a full commercial slot for that due to finances. ESPN and Fox don't need that. They can run one commercial, go right back to the game. That saves you seven minutes right there, which could potentially happen three, four times in a game. That's where I think we're seeing the shortening of the game, not it actually shortening the game itself. TV is making the game go longer than it has to because without the commercials, 
after those changes, they would start faster. But if I'm not mistaken, they're only cutting five, ten seconds off of the commercial breaks. I mean, didn't we look at it and it was No, like- no, I'm saying if they have to face one, three full batters, think about it if you had three pitching changes in one inning with three batters. That means three different commercial breaks, time they go to switch that pitcher, versus coming back from a commercial with a pitcher, he faces three batters, which could be the whole half inning, then go to the commercial break. Instead of saying commercial break, one batter, commercial break, one batter, and you've just extended the programming by 20 minutes just off of that. So maybe this is just clarification for me. What is a half an inning? When you have three outs makes an inning? Yeah. How do you get one and a half outs? No, 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 no. A half inning is three outs. For one team, and then yeah, you never mind, never yeah, mind. Yeah. That was a, 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 a never mind. Brain fart there. Wow. So, but I, what I'm, I'm thinking one one half of a team's at bat. Correct. Yes. I also like the fact that I think it's going to be better for scouting or player development and the team's approach when they like because they do have people that they bring in that are only good against left-handed batters. You have a closer. Well, he's only good against lefties. We'll use him when we need to. He's ready to go every night. Well, if he can't face at least three batters, some left-handed, some right-handed, don't get him. So how many specialists out there, how many pitching specialists out there, right, that are on major league rosters right now are only on those rosters for very specialized pitching? Does that decrease their value? It decreases their value, but I think it increases the value of the pitcher that's a true pitcher, somebody that can go out there and pitch by saying – they can adjust for left-handed, right-handed batters or switch hitters. They can adjust for someone that crowds the plate versus someone that's on the mound. They get someone in a tie game and extra innings. He's crowding the plate, and he looks at the manager going, now we got to switch. Then I, I, don't, I don't think you need to be on that major league roster. Does it make pinch hitters more important now? I think so. Yeah. I do. And yeah. I think that they're, they're somewhat undervalued to – the mental aspect of the game when a manager decides to use a pinch hitter, it seems to me like it either works or it doesn't at the time. If it works, it makes you look like a genius. If it doesn't, it makes you look like you you shouldn't have done it, right? I think that now they'll be more cautious to use it and use it at the right times. But we, when we've talked, you know, you and I have had discussions and I, I, the the mound change, right, and how – Baseball always seems to be wanting to move more towards offense and hitting. Yes. You know? And is is this is this maybe a a cloak and dagger way of making hitting more important? Because in the American League, right, you have your designated hitters now. Mm-hmm. You see, you see more uh, tacticians in the National League. I would say I think it's more strategic baseball. Yep. Um, you know, those pinch hitters now are much more valuable. Yeah. Because if you know that a pitcher is stuck on the mound, then you now can, you know what now you know who to put in the game because yeah. you know Especially I, if you're I getting think it's into be the, very interesting. I do too. And I think it's like what you said does are they looking to kind of under the radar make offense more prolific? Yes, and I think that it will be when this takes effect for the first season two, season three, season, eventually the game's going to figure it out to make it to where the pitcher can offset this because they're going to be able to draft better based on this, develop better based on this, trade better based on this. But until they figure it out, that's just more offense, which gets more people involved, 
because that's what people want. They want they don't they want home runs. They don't want defensive battles. So I think for I think for the short term, it's more offense, and it's probably better for the spectator side of things. Now being now being forty five years old, I can say this. I can ask this question: Do you think that it also will shorten careers? Because you have some pitchers that are able to hang on in the league because they are, you know, they only have to go out there and throw, you know, 20 pitches, you know, to, or, or whatever it may be, or hell, they can pitch, they can throw three pitches and get three strikes, right? And then they're done. Whereas, especially in colder months, right? So in the beginning of the season, I've been to opening days in Baltimore where it's snowing. Um, and then in the later portion of the of the season, also in late September, October, in places like Milwaukee, right, or uh, e- even in Baltimore, where it's getting cold, Philly, New York, it's getting cold. Older pitchers, and I can say this again because I'm 45 years old, I know what the cold weather sometimes could do. They're not they're not suited to go out there and throw more than those pitches. Maybe sometimes. Will it shorten careers? Probably uh, for for the. Well, and see, the thing is, it, that's a loaded question because you got to think for the starting pitcher, no, because he's already going to pitch every fifth day and he's going to pitch as deep into the game as they can right. or based but on the But the natural progression, right? You're a starting pitcher until then you, you go down to middle reliever and stuff like that. Yeah, and then you're going like middle that. reliever. And then, and then at some point, maybe you still have a little bit of heat in you and you can get out there and you can face, hey, man, you're really good in against these 10 batters that are in our division. And we just need you in the And we just need you this. in there for that batter right there. Do I think that it over time will shorten careers? Yes, do I think that it will shorten it enough to where we start truly noticing it? Whereas, like, would it have taken five years off of John Smoltz? No. Would he have maybe been traded to the Red Sox after the Braves? Probably not. He would have had Tommy John surgery and then retired or made a farewell tour and retired. Right. He would not have tried to pitch two, three, four more years of, like, I just want to pitch till I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Save my arm enough. My arms rubber. Yeah, he's like, I want to make sure I save my arm enough for golf, and then I'm done. Yeah, I think he would have probably called it quits a couple of years sooner. So, yet to answer the question, yes, is it going to affect it from a standpoint to where we're like, damn, why are these guys not pitching any longer or as long as they used to? I don't think it's going to affect it that much. But at the same time, if it's going to affect the longevity of a career. Contracts are going to be shorter, money's going to go up, and everybody's going to be happy. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, we only have, what, four months really till the season starts and we'll be able to see. And I'm sure it'll be talked March about. March the 26th. I'm sure it'll be talked about in those first couple of weeks because we're going to see some changes um, to, be, to I, managers I, I, and their and their strategies. We have to see what happens the first year that actually takes effect. But from the outside looking in, without seeing what it's actually going to do, I am I am for the rule right now. And you know me. I don't like rule changes in baseball. No, I you're want not. it to always you be the way it was. You are a baseball purist. Yes. So I've got it tattooed in one of my private areas. What a transition here into baseball purity. So it has been tested out in the minor leagues. Um, my hometown back in Maryland, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, the Atlantic League, um, did this, uh, I believe, last year. And it is the track man. It, it's the electronic or it's the, I guess, artificial intelligence, if you will, balls and strike calling. So basically taking uh, the, the error out of it, if you will, or the subjectivity out of it, if you will. Uh, the Major League Baseball Umpires Association is willing, ha- has agreed to test it out. They're not, I, don't, I, don't, 
I didn't see anything that they were going to be using it in games. I think they were more going to be tracking what was actually called versus what the track man called. So they're, they're, they've essentially said, eh, we're open to it. Now, it's not going to be 2020. Hell, it's probably not going to be 2021. Um, but what are your thoughts on a, you know, they, look, replay is coming into every sport now. So, you know, we, we recently went to Clemson, South Carolina. They went to the replay several times over fouls. We see it in the NFL. We know that there is an error, okay? There is a, there is a, there is a margin of error for humans, us, to be watching a sport as a referee and not see a hold or be at a different angle and think that you see pass interference or be behind the plate and think, you know what? I think that this batter should be able to hit more, so I'm going to widen my strike zone. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on computer-generated balls and strikes? I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) I hate it. Now, here's the thing. And let's elaborate some more. I don't – taking the error out of it is one thing, but as you said, human nature has errors. There's flaws. It will never be perfect. Baseball is – a game of imperfections that people try to perfect. How do you perfect your swing? How do you perfect your pitch? How do you perfect uh, how the catcher tries to pick off someone at second or the pitcher tries to pick off someone at first? It's an imperfect game that people are trying to constantly perfect. That's the beauty of how do we put a team on the field to get as close to perfect as we can. One of the most intriguing things for me about a pitcher is that since the beginning of time, since they played this game, that – It's the pitcher and the catcher's job together to study an umpire, study what he's doing, and adjust accordingly. Does he have a wide strike zone? Is it narrow? Is he calling high? Is he calling low? Is he calling inside? Is he calling outside? But that goes for the offensive side. The batters have to understand how the umpire is calling. Right. Too, and so, right? The, so they're going to have to stay alive by, you know, swinging late to get a, to get a foul ball out yep, there. They didn't to like know it, whether but, or not to crowd or step it, right. back. And I think that the thing, and you look at it, they're like, okay, does it favor one and hinder the other? In my eyes, I think one of the, the greatest things about it is if a pitcher and catcher can figure it out and the batters can't, that's not their fault. You are to figure it out. That is your job to figure it out. As a hitter, you're a professional. It takes time. That's the difference between rookies and veterans. Albert Pujols can figure out anything because he's the, one of the greatest hitters ever. You bring in a fantastic college hitter, it takes him a few years to understand it, to get with it, the veterans teach him. If it's all going to be perfect and error-free, then what's the use in having that veteran leadership to teach a young gun, hey, this is how you got to work it? I think that's part of the, the beauty of... Because they're still working the mechanics of the throw. They are. They're, but I the mean, thing they're is... Still, it, they're it, still it, working on developing their speed and the movement of the ball. But think about this. If they bring this in and this takes effect to where it becomes a thing... And they say, okay, because we all know that just because it's a machine doing it, it still can't be perfect all the time. Then you're going to Well, and bring... I think in the Atlantic League, what I read, the, the Atlantic League, the, the, the umpire can overrule the computer. Yes, that was, that's what I was getting ready and, to get and, into. And the story said something about if it hits the ground... Um, it's umpire's call and all it's umpi- and I and I thought how does it hit the ground and the computer still thinks it's a strike see that's the, see that's where it gets into such a gray area because it's like okay let's say that an umpire 
overturns something and goes, this called a ball, but it's not, it's a strike. Well, then you're going to have Dum Dum McGee in the, you know, in the dugout going, nope, I want to challenge, I want to do this, I want to cause a big scene about it. Then you know what? Don't put a computer as your umpire. Let the man do it. If you want to argue that, go ahead, because you've been doing it for the last hundred years. And he can either throw you out or he can tell you to go back to the dugout. It's worked for this long. Everybody that loves the game loves it for what it is. They love yelling at the umpire. I'm not yelling at a computer screen because guess what? That computer screen is probably right and I'm wrong. So, I mean, do you think that that is – you're a baseball purist. I get it. Do you think that that is part of the game, the banter between the pitcher – the batter – and the umpire, or the pitcher and the umpire, yeah. or the manager and the umpire. And, I mean, look, and man, I think it's most entertaining. Them, I love. I used to love to see Earl Weaver, you know, kicking dirt on umpire's shoes. Or, or I um, think one of the biggest things is one of the most. I think just as important as the manager, the batter, the pitcher being able to yell at an umpire is the fans being able to do it. I think it is, because think about it. If, if we're talking about bottom of the ninth, up by one with the bases loaded, 0-2 count, your guy throws one right down the middle, and they call a ball. Game should have ended. Home crowd, what do they do? They lose their mind. So what does that do? It rattles the batter a little bit. He's got to deal with all that incoming noise. Well, eventually, if they just put a computer back there, the fans are going to be like, well, who are we going to argue with? Yeah. I mean, it, I just think that it takes – from a fan perspective, from a player perspective, I think it hurts the value of the game. Yeah, I, mean, I guess there's something to be said about the sport, in any sport, but, you know, baseball being entertainment, yeah. right? And, yes, it is a game, and, and you know, you want – there are certain very core aspects of it and bats and hits and this, but if everything's perfect, I guess it does lose some of that entertainment. And not only that, they say that, uh, you know, baseball's America's pastime. Well, pastime is nothing more than a hobby. Base, uh, baseball wouldn't exist today if it wasn't a spectator and a fan-driven sport, just like any other sport out there. Football, basketball, hockey, NASCAR, it doesn't matter. If you don't have fans, you don't have people intrigued, you don't have people that love it for whatever reason they love it, it doesn't exist. You start taking the fan experience out of it. You, you lose interest, you lose money, and then I'm not going to say it's going to – disappear but you're you're definitely gonna hurt it that's okay. my that's my thought okay but it's not coming in anytime soon major league baseball umpires are open to it so they're gonna be testing it i'll i'll be uh, curious to see how it plays out so as we're wrapping up okay we've we've gone through a lot here um you know your your winter meeting we've talked about some of the free agent moves obviously these rule changes which may or may not have a, a an impact on much of this but as it stands right now and of course with with two and a half months left we're going to be readdressing all that three months left we're going to be readdressing this uh, numerous times who are the front runners right now right now we talk about al east it's it's obviously the yankees um the, the thing is, the, as of right this very second, I think they've got a cupcake division because the Orioles and Tor- you know the Toronto Blue Jays and, and the Orioles have just not remotely caught up. Um, the Red Sox are always going to be a thorn in their side. They still have immense talent. So I think people are using their bad season last year to kind of write them off. So I think the, the Red Sox are going to give them a little bit of a, a headache. But don't, they, but don't the Red Sox have 
I mean, you, you already talked about the salary cap issue. They're like $40 million over the cap right yeah. now. But, but again, they can be over the cap. That still doesn't mean that they're going to move players. So we don't know right. what's going to happen. I mean, look, I mean, they, could, they could pay the $13 million luxury tax they fee. They've got and it. Be done I mean, it. they're still one of the, you know, the highest revenue franchises in baseball. They always will be. If nothing changed and the, and the same team that the Red Sox have right at this very moment took the field, I think the Red Sox are going to make it a tough fight. But it's hard to overlook the Yankees with their pitching staff. Yeah. Um, All right, so AL Central. Right now, I still got to give it to the Twins. I still think they have the best pitching staff. Offensively, I think the the White Sox are really going to give them a run. I think they're going to exceed the Indians this year because I do think the Indians are going to get rid of Lindor. Uh, but until the, the Twins kind of realize that they still don't have a World Series caliber team and they kind of start that – trend back towards rebuilding and starting over i gotta give it to the twins i went to well i went to a twins game last year um and watching them on television also this past season it always seemed like they they made it harder than it needed to be on them yeah they they do it's always like they start off and oh okay they're up by a couple runs and then middle innings come they they give up the lead and now they got to battle back you know it, it just seemed like they were making it much more difficult on them on themselves. So AL West. Uh, this year, I mean, I'm not – most people would probably still say the Houston Astros because their team is still going to be dominant to say the very least. But I think what's looming because of these allegations of cheating, the fines they're going to have to pay, I think they're going to end up offsetting another player to make up for that except the fact they only won one, one World Series, see who they can re-sign in the coming years. I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think that the Angels are not done spending money. They'll get some at least one key pitcher, two key relievers, and O'Shea Otani will be back to pitch this year and hit. And the Angels, and this is a bold prediction, and I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, Anaheim Angels surprise everybody win the AL West. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. Okay, shifting over to the National League, NL East. Um, I got to say the Phillies this year. I think the Phillies have got it. Uh, the Braves, pitching-wise, still have it because they signed you know Cole Hamels to a one-year deal. Um, but I think that they're pitching, their bullpen's still in trouble. And Does Bryce Harper get revenge? Did the Phillies have? Well, are they good enough to get to the World Series? Signing Didi Gregorius from the Yankees, you having Bryce Harper, who I think is on an uptick. I just think that that offense is going to be really hard to deal with. Now, they're going to have to, to work on pitching just a little bit, but I think the veteran leadership that the Phillies have versus the – see, talent for talent, I think they're, they're pretty well even with the Braves. I think that it's going to come down to veteran presence versus – Still some, not rookies, but still some young guys. Okay. All right, so that's the NL East, NL Central. We talked Brewers. I'd, I'd love to say the Cubs, but the Cubs are going to have to make some serious changes. Is that where the Reds are stepping up, you think? I think that it's going to be the Reds this year. Well, I think that the Cardinals are going to come in as the front runner, but if the if the Reds make one more big move, I think the Reds sweep in and take it. And do we need to talk about anybody outside of the Dodgers for the NL West? No, not even close. Not even – I don't think that anybody be, will be within 15 games of them. 
Well, I am sure that some of this will change. I mean, we oh, have, yeah. as we, we, have, we have more have signings, agency. We'll, we'll do updates. Yeah, and... there's there's free agency moves still going on, and uh, it's a it's a long cold winter. They say, right? Yes, it is. All right. Well, Chase, I don't have anything else this week. Do you have anything to close us out? Nope. Uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll be back next week. Probably talk more for, uh, free agency stuff. Maybe we'll have something to talk about with uh francisco lindor um if any of you guys have anything you you know you want to talk about or anything feel free um you can email me chase at chasewins.com if you want to get some immediate um questions in until we get all of our social media and stuff kind of hashed out uh but other than that we will uh we'll see you back next week and to give a plug you can also email me at hawkscall.voice.talent at gmail.com So that's it for this week. I'm Hawk. I'm Chase. And we'll talk to you later. See you. Peace.